Hi, welcome to Flywheel Fridays, keeping up with the federal IT news cycle, one conversation at a time. I'm Alexander Bulova, media producer for GovCIO Media and Research. With me today are my wonderful co-hosts, Melissa Harris and Kate Macri. Melissa and Kate, thanks for joining me. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having us, Alex. Kate, you recently finished covering AFSIA TechNet Cyber 2022, an annual conference focused on improving military cyber operations and cultivating cyber innovation. Can you give us a recap of the conference and your top takeaways? Sure, Alex. So I would say that the top takeaways were zero trust is going to be a huge priority for DISA as they modernize cybersecurity solutions for JADC2. So DISA's Thunderdome Zero Trust prototype with Booz Allen Hamilton is going to be a big part of that. They talked a lot about what's going on with the Thunderdome prototype and where they're hoping to see it go. One of the big goals of that prototype is to make the entire security, I guess, quote unquote, experience easier for users because one of DOD's problems is having all of these different layers of security and security protocols in order to access data. And that can be really burdensome and cumbersome for people trying to access the DOD information network or the DODEN to do their jobs. So making the security process more user-friendly is going to be a really major theme. And I'd say that's one of the big takeaways from TechNet this year. Another big takeaway is DevSecOps is going to really drive implementation of JADC2 because DISA is going to be relying pretty heavily on this method of software development in order to rapidly deliver new software and software tools at mission speed, and then being able to adjust and iterate and scale those across DOD components and the military service branches. That was a very, very common theme. And pretty much all the panels and keynotes that I attended, everyone was talking about DevSecOps and how important it's going to be and how important it's going to be to harmonize DevSecOps with legacy IT, because DOD can't just throw out all of their legacy tech tools and IT infrastructure. So that's going to be one of their big challenges going forward is how do we harmonize some of these new technologies and capabilities and new ways of doing things and new ways of modernizing infrastructure to be more connected and also enable JADC2. And how do we do that with the old technology constraints and all the compliance and regulation that comes along with that. So I would say that's another really big takeaway. Yeah, I'd say those are my top takeaways. So pivoting to a more general conversation, Melissa and Kate, you now have both had the opportunity to go to in-person conferences um, for the first time in must be two years. What is it like to be in the room after all that time, after all the changes that have happened in the IT space? Is there an energy to these panels, these conversations? What has your experience been like? So 
For listeners who don't know, I attended the HIMSS Health IT Conference back in March. Um, it was really big in, in Orlando, Florida. You know, there were, I think, well, definitely tens of thousands of people there. I think less than 30,000, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. I think that seeing the audience reaction to certain big presentations was certainly something that you don't get with these kinds of virtual events. You get that audience engagement with Q&A that's not just people typing in a, you know, a Zoom chat box and then a moderator conveying it, but you get the whole microphone experience and that face-to-face -face interaction with government officials. And then there's room after events end to actually engage with people and get to know them. When you see vendors, you get to see their products and chat with them as well. So it's nice to see things just in a wider scope and getting the sort of flexibility that you don't necessarily always get in a virtual environment. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I would definitely say there was a lot of energy at TechNet. It was very packed. I guess what was so striking to me was how normal it all felt and how like pre-COVID everything felt like, I mean, I don't think hardly anyone mentioned COVID the entire time I was there. There were some people in masks, but, you know, the vast majority of people weren't. And, you know, people were talking to each other, shaking hands, you know, just it was just it it felt remarkably normal and from my perspective like i found that pretty refreshing after 2 years of like feeling like i've had to be like really careful around other people or people i don't know and like avoiding crowds and all that stuff and i just feel like the last 2 years have been a little anxiety inducing for a lot of people because of everything that comes with covid and so yeah it was kind of nice it felt like a return to some semblance of like normalcy and stability that I feel like everyone is really aching for right now. Yeah. And I like what Melissa said about feeling the response of the people in the room, the response to a panel. Obviously, we can talk about what was discussed at the panels, but hearing how people respond in the moment is almost as important. With that in mind, Kate, was there anything that the audience gravitated towards in terms of the content that was discussed? I would say Zero Trust and JADC2 were the common themes that came up in questions from the audience. Everyone on industry side wanted to know about, you know, Zero Trust and what DESA wants from them regarding Zero Trust products, even though Zero Trust isn't really a product, it's more of a philosophy. And then industry and government audience members were also really interested in hearing how everything that DISA is doing to improve and modernize their cybersecurity solutions and cyber operations, how they are going to be contributing to JADC2, because DISA's role in JADC2 is going to be really, really critical they're basically going to be the IT backbone for JADC2, especially from a from the C2 perspective, command and control. Some members of DISA told me their function basically is to tip and queue tasks as they arise, and that's going to be really critical for JADC2, obviously. So that was 
it seemed like a lot of people were really hungry to hear more about that. And I will say that one of the advantages to being there in person was being able to connect one-on-one with subject matter experts at DISA and, you know, the relevant people who were wanting to interview and hear from and interface with some of the public affairs officers that we talk to on a regular basis over email. So I would say that was definitely a perk of being there in person. Definitely. Now, I know that TechNet and HIMSS cover very different topics, but Melissa, is there anything that Kate has discussed that you find relevant from your coverage of HIMSS? I would also like to echo the fact that it felt nice to have some semblance of normal, normalcy, I should say. I know that lots of people weren't wearing their masks, but also there was a requirement for all attendees to be vaccinated. It was nice feeling a little free. I mean, I didn't get COVID from the event and I probably interacted with thousands of people. It's nice to feel like the risk isn't as bad. I know it's still circulating out there, but as long as people are taking advantage of what's out there with, you know, COVID vaccines and the therapies and treatments that are being developed, largely by people who go to things like HIMSS, you know, where it's like very health innovation focused. It's good to appreciate that and, you know, feel like you could take a breath of fresh air. So Kate, do you have any final thoughts on AFSIA TechNet Cyber 2022? I think my last thought, and I wouldn't say this is a major takeaway, it's just the last interesting thought that I have on this that I can remember, <laughs> is there were some DISA leaders, I can't remember exactly who it was, because I don't remember what page of my notes this is on, but they said it. And they said that industry is not providing very interoperable zero trust solutions that can all like really work together, which is a little frustrating for DOD at the moment because they need an interoperable zero trust solution, which is something that I've heard from multiple cyber leaders throughout DOD, like Angel Faneuf, CISO for Army Software Factory, has talked about this a lot. She really cares about this topic. So does Paul Puckett who's director of the Army's Enterprise Cloud Management Agency. But DISA was saying that they're having a little trouble, or I guess maybe they're a little disappointed in how industry is so focused on zero trust products that they're not sure they can even use, given the level of security and encryption and classification they have to have for everything. So I know that's going to be a pain point for them. And I know that's a that's a point of frustration for them at the moment. So I thought that was interesting. I'd imagine that the interoperability bit would also be really key considering the aims of JADC2, which is to, you know, make everything joint. That's what the J stands for, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, because like the point of JADC2 is to be able to share data across different components and service branches, but you have to be able to share it, you know, at the speed of mission relevancy very quickly and very, and it has to be secure. And that's going to be a huge challenge for DOD and DISA 
And right now, industry seems to be really focused on like, we have this zero trust product that can help you get to zero trust. You should buy it from us. And that's not really what DOD wants to hear right now. So I just think that's, I just think that's interesting. Well, hopefully conferences like AFSIA, TechNet Cyber, and other upcoming conferences provide a platform for these conversations to happen. But speaking of live events, GovCIO Media and Research has a live event coming up in two weeks. Kate, can you tell us about our infrastructure cloud modernization event? Sure. So we have a cloud security panel, which is featuring Drew Malloy from DISA. He's in charge of the Thunderdome Zero Trust prototype that we were just talking about. I'm going to be moderating that panel. We're still waiting on a couple more speakers to confirm, but right now um, it's shaping up to be a really interesting panel. We also have Kevin Walsh, who's director of IT and cybersecurity at GAO, who's going to be on that panel as well. We have a panel on cloud architecture, which is going to feature some folks from the VA and potentially the GSA. And then we have a data panel, which will feature Kristen Sailing, who's deputy director of Army People Analytics at the U.S. Army, and Karen Quiroga, who is the new chief data officer at Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So this will be her first event talking about data interoperability efforts at ICE. So that's very exciting. Yeah, first in-person event of the year. It's going to be at the Intercontinental Hotel at the Wharf in Washington, D.C. So please join us. Also, right before that, GovCIO Media and Research is going to be at the Special Operations Forces Industry Conference in Tampa, and we will have some special content for that. So GovCIO Media and Research is back in person. We look forward to seeing you at our upcoming event. But until then, that's all for today's Flywheel Fridays. If you enjoyed this episode, keep the conversation turning by subscribing and leaving a review on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Melissa Harris. And I'm Kate Macri. Thank you for listening. Flywheel Fridays, along with GovCast, HealthCast, and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released weekly across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com. Yeah, for our listeners, um, prior to the episode, I tend to recite some Gilbert and Sullivan lyrics to myself as a vocal warm-up. I have tried to get other people on board with using Gilbert and Sullivan, and surprise, surprise, Gilbert and Sullivan is not quite as relevant or catchy as it once was. Wait, I love Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, so do I, but I don't know. I, I, I was in a light opera company back in college, so I, I have my familiarity with Gilbert and Sullivan. What's your favorite? Pirates of Benzance.
classic. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a lot of people's favorite, but it's just it's just so good. Like everything about I think I really think Pirates is their best one. I think it's I think it's peak Gilbert and Sullivan just because I don't know, it's like every everything about that just like lands perfectly. Like the comedic timing is perfect, the jokes are perfect. It's like one of the and I honestly, I think it's because they really perfected making fun of their own culture because that's basically what it is. Like the whole like the whole thing is just making fun of English culture and like how pretentious it is. And it's just really funny. Melissa, do you have anything you want to add? <laughs> I am in the dark on this. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I appreciate your enthusiasm. Well, if we don't have our enthusiasm, what do we have? <laughs> 